Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. It seems like once you realize it's fall, the days get shorter, the pace of life picks up, and we need to be reminded of the rhythm of life that's found in Psalm 23. Let me remind you again of those words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 is the basis for the current series that I've been uh, speaking on for the last few weeks. Don't give the enemy your seat at the table. We get so busy with life that we can become oblivious to what's happening in our life. Now we had sheep growing up. They were dumb. But as a kid, you had fun messing with them because they were dumb. And every now and then, it was my responsibility because Dad wasn't about to run uh, for me to go out and round the sheep up and try to get them back into their pasture that they had gotten out of. And it didn't matter how small that hole was or how big and wide the gate was. This was something that I observed with the sheep that we had. They would put their head down and eat grass, because that's where grass is usually found, down, okay? You don't have to have sheep to know that, right? So they'd have their head down, and they'd be just eating this, and then maybe move forward and eat this, and move forward and eat this, and, and they'd just keep going, you know? Even if it went through the fence, they would just keep going, and then all of a sudden, they would look up, and they would panic because they didn't see anybody else. And not unlike us, when they panic, they tend to just panic and they'd run around like the proverbial chicken with their head cut off, only this time it was more like the sheep that just realized, wait, where's everybody else at? And in that panic and in that running around, they couldn't see the gate that was 12 feet wide in front of them. They just, ah, ah, you know, and they just keep going and going. It was crazy. We forget that we are in the presence of enemies until something happens to get our attention. And no, those enemies are not at our border. Those enemies are not in Washington. Those enemies are not in Atlanta at the CDC. 
Those enemies are not even people who are masked or unmasked, vaccinated or unvaccinated. They are not our enemies. God has made it clear that our enemies are not flesh and blood. But we can also get overwhelmed focusing on enemies like that, that we forget that Jesus said it's finished. Our enemy has been defeated. But just like any conflict, we still face our own individual battles. The enemy will try to persuade you that you don't belong, and he does. And surrender our seat at the table that God's prepared for us. Historians agree that D-Day, I know we're long past June, but D-Day determined the outcome of World War II. Now, there were a lot of battles to be fought after that, but that one day, June 6th, determined victory. The plan is kind of seen in this particular image. I, now, this is, Bo's going to just beat me up afterwards but, and mock me, but I, I, I just didn't know, okay? I, I thought that the D-Day invasion happened in one place. I didn't realize that there were five different landing spots. That's on me. The plan was to retake enemy territory. And to do that, you don't need we may not have had sheep, you may not have even had chickens, but you've heard the phrase, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Well, that's kind of the idea behind a multiple site landing. The intention was to overwhelm the enemy. When the boats approached the shore and they landed, it was, it was hell on earth. It was brutal. The Allied forces suffered over 210,000 casualties that day. Now, only 50,000 more or less died that day, but there were over 200,000 that bled that day. It was a massive undertaking. They those that survived and captured the landing beaches began to establish a base of operations for what would come next. It, it was breathtaking to see. Nearly 7,000 ships participated, not just on D-Day, but D-Day plus one and D-Day plus two. 7,000 ships over 3,000 planes, and eventually over 500,000 vehicles to move the troops throughout Europe and to pre press the battle to the enemy. I realize these are a lot of numbers, but it's still staggering nonetheless. 450 tons of ammunition were brought ashore on that beach as long as eventually two and a half million troops. Now the disclaimer is that a lot of these numbers came off of the, <clears throat> the internet because Bo didn't return my call. 
So if you want the accurate number, he is our resident historian, see him. But this will give you a feel for it. The battle that day may have determined the war, but it would still require an amazing number of boots on the ground. You see, the battle that day may be over, but there were still more battles to come. They still needed to go street to street and liberate Paris. They still needed to survive winter at the Battle of the Bulge. And they would still need to make their push on into Germany and liberate the survivors of concentration camps. Even though the outcome had already been determined, some of the toughest fighting was still to come. And yet, like with us, in spite of the battles, God can be counted on to keep his promise. And because we can count on God to keep his promise, that's why we don't surrender our seat at the table that God has prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. You see, God made a promise to Abraham way back in Genesis that one day his descendants would become a great nation and he would bless that nation and he would bless the, all the nations of the world through them. Now he told him it wasn't going to happen right away. As a matter of fact, he even told him, this is not going to happen in your lifetime. There's going to be ups and downs. But it's not going to change the fact that I've given you my word and you can count on me to keep my promise. And not to make light of it, but one of those downtimes was 400 years long when they were slaves in Egypt. And despite the delay that would have persuaded them that God forgot his promise, he could still be counted on to keep his word. And that's why he sent Moses to set his people free from the slavery that they were in in Egypt. It may not have come when Abraham would have wanted it to come. I'm sure Abraham didn't want his descendants to ever go through that. But they did. It may not have come as soon as Moses wanted it to come. And it, set, it definitely didn't happen as soon as the people who were actually enslaved wanted it to happen. But one day, Moses led them to freedom. Because God can be counted on to keep his word. He protected them in their freedom in spectacular ways, like drowning the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. He also protected them in unknown ways by not leading them into battles that they weren't ready for yet. He protected them in everyday miracles like sandals and clothing that didn't wear out. And he, if only that happened now when the kids go back to school, right? But he also provided for them every single day with their daily needs of food and water and guidance through the wilderness. He even provided them leadership in Moses and laws for their social life and their governing in the Ten Commandments. You see, because God could be counted on to keep his promise, you begin to wonder, well, 
what, what could possibly prevent his blessings in life then? I'm about to share with you a, a, a deep theological phrase. It's called stinking thinking. And that's usually how we surrender our seat at the table of God's blessing, is when we forget or we ignore and don't recognize the lie of stinking thinking. Did you ever talk to your kids about stinking thinking? I know. They get stuck in a bad mood, get bad attitude. If, if, they're, you know, if they're little, you make allowances for them, right? You just kind of, they kind of act out a little bit. And what do you say? Oh, well, you know, they're just tired. They need a nap. Or, well, oh, it's okay, they're hungry, you know, or, well, they need their diaper change. For some reason, that doesn't work so well when it's grandpa. But I know, it happens. And so those allowances don't always last. Numbers 13 tells what happened in one particular event when they forgot that they could count on God to keep his word, and they got stuck in this cycle of stinking thinking. Now, you know as well as I do that you're going to use that phrase the rest of this week, probably several times before lunch today, but that's okay. I'm glad you remember the lesson. It's in Numbers 13 that Moses and God's people arrived at the edge of the land that God had promised to them. And the story unfolds in Numbers 13 of how Moses sent in an advanced team to gather intel. And he gave very specific directions of things he wanted them to report on when they came back. Eventually, they did come back, and those 12 spies returned, and, and it was their time to stand and deliver. And they did just that, except they didn't just give intel, they gave their opinion. Sure, it's a great place. It's an amazing place. Here's some of the stuff that grows there. And they had two guys come in with a pole between their shoulders because that's how big the cluster of grapes were that it took two men to carry one cluster of grapes. You're not going to find that at Myers. But that's what was growing there, and that's the awe effect that they wanted to have. This is, in fact... An incredible land of blessing. But that's not where they stopped. Because of the lie of stinking thinking, <laughs> you'd have thought that it was the report of Winnie the Pooh's Eeyore. It'll never work. We'll never live there. I could just hear one of them saying, you've got to face the facts. And he begins to list the facts. The people are strong. As a matter of fact, they're giants. The cities are huge. They're like fortresses. It's, the land is so big, it's, it's like trying to drive through Texas. You can drive all day and still be in Texas. It's so spread out. We'll be too spread out. And there's no way that we'll be able to sustain our victories. And besides that, they outnumber us. Now, at that point, two members of this advanced team, Joshua and Caleb, they step forward and disagree. That's not always easy to do, is it? To be the only one in the class that disagrees with what everybody else has already said is obvious and true, but yet they did. 
And they tried to encourage their, their people that they can trust God to, to honor His Word. We can do this. God will lead us, just like He has. And the other ten began a disinformation campaign of half-truths and lies, insinuations and accusations. Here's how it kind of gets summarized in Numbers 13, verse 31 through 33. They spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were giants. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. Oh, really? So now you're not just spies, you're actually mind readers, right? How do you know what they thought? Well, it had to be what they were. Really? And that's why it's important for us to remember not to surrender our seat at the table just because we assume that we know what everybody else is thinking. That's believing the lie of stinking thinking. That next chapter, Numbers 14, tells how because of that stinking thinking that they were stuck on, it affected the whole next generation. They were focused on the circumstances that they were facing instead of remembering that they could always count on God. Now, I'm just going to stretch us a little bit and ask, do you suppose that might be something that we deal with now? That we get so focused on the circumstances that we're facing right now in our country that we forget the promises of God and that we can count on Him to keep His word? I know it's a stretch. But those ten spies that said, you've got to wake up and smell the roses here. You've got to make up and smell the coffee. Get real. They, they wanted to cancel anyone who disagreed with them, like Caleb and Joshua and Moses. Just like happens today. If you disagree with me, you've got to be silenced. As a matter of fact, they were ready to stone them just to shut them up. We can't allow any other opposing so their solution was, we get rid of these guys. We can select new leaders. We need an election because an election solves everything. <laughs> really? We need new leaders and they'll take us back to Egypt. And if we're lucky, maybe they'll let us be their slaves again and we can eat the onions and the garlics and the leeks and other stuff that we pass on on the buffet line. Really? You're, you, you're, you're going to volunteer to be slaves again, even though you live in freedom now. And God's response in verse 28 of Numbers 14 was essentially this, I'll do to you the very things I heard you say. That's usually what happens with stinking thinking. We talk ourselves into it. As a matter of fact, you might hear somebody phrase it like this. I spoke it into the universe and it came true. 
Now, that's not Bible, but you'll hear people say that. Well, that's what happened here. Maybe you've heard what's said in Psalm 37, verse 4. God will give you the desire of your heart. That's why we're also warned in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, to guard our heart because it's more deceitful than anything else. What is it that you really want most? Be careful. God may just give you what you want most, and that becomes the effect of stinking thinking. And it affected their nation for the next 40 years. That's why the life principle in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 is so important. We destroy every proud idea that argues against the knowledge of God. Argues against the knowledge of God. That's why it's called a proud idea. Because we think our idea is better than God's wisdom. And we'll argue with God about it. And maybe not out loud. But I've had those prayers that are yelling matches at God. How about you? We capture every thought just like it was a prisoner of war. And make it bow in obedience to Christ. Have you ever fought that battle of stinking thinking? Why bother? It won't do any good. Nobody believes me anyway. I can hear Caleb and Joshua going back and forth about it now. It doesn't matter how many facts we present. They're not going to believe us. And finally, if I were there representing them, I would probably have been heard to say, you know what? They deserve what they get. You can't say that without going like this. They deserve what they get. I never trusted them anyway. Stinking thinking. That's why it's so important not to give the enemy your seat at the table because we've got to take captive every thought. Stinking thinking does not come from a good shepherd who's provided a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Instead, what does that good shepherd do? He provides rest in green pastures, not fear of the unknown. He promises peace by still waters, not the anxiety and worry of the rapids. His protective rod and staff comfort us when we're threatened and afraid of what's about to happen or what might happen if we're not always on guard. The Good Shepherd can be counted on to let us dwell in His house forever. Nobody else. If you've checked out, tune back in just a little bit. I don't know what you miss this. Nobody else is going to capture your thoughts for you because they're your thoughts. That's on you. If you've been imprisoned by stinking thinking, it's not your mom's fault. Get over it. It's not your stepdad's fault if you're stuck in thinking and stinking thinking. It's not the guy you married. It's not the woman who left you. It's not the guy who cheated on you. It's not their kids. It's your thoughts. 
right? Nobody else can read your mind. Nobody else knows the thoughts that's moving you away from trusting God and instead just stuck in the stink of what you think. So stop allowing the enemy to pull up a seat at your table and set you up to lose the blame game. How do you win? How do you take captive your stinking thinking? The same way Jesus did. In prayer. In Matthew 26, verse 39, he's in the garden. It's the night before his trial. It's the night before his crucifixion. It's the night before the very worst that anybody could ever imagine is about to happen to him. And what is it that he is honest and transparent about with God? Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, I want your will to be done, not mine. At that very moment, when Jesus is about to follow through on the will of God, he's never closer to doing the will of God, and yet that's the very moment that he was tested the most. Sound familiar? His struggle was not because he didn't know what God wanted. His struggle was because at that moment in his life, he wasn't sure if he wanted what God wanted. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what he said. I don't want this. Sound like anything you may have told God? Yeah. How do you live your li- how you live your life boils down to this. Do you know what God says he wants? Jesus did. Didn't stop the temptation. Didn't stop the struggle. Do you know what God says he wants? How you live your life boils down to this, though. Not just in whether or not you have a verse memorized. Do you know what God wants? And secondly, do you care what God says he wants? Do you know the word of God? Do you care what the word of God says? That'll determine how you live your life. Oh, yeah, one last thing. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to do what God says he wants? I'm just going to pause for a bit to give you a, a chance to think about some of the current controversies in our culture. What does God want? Do people care what God wants? Do they care what he said? And are we willing to do what God said, believing that we can count on him to keep his word? You see, it doesn't matter while I'm here, I might as well get, get on into it, right? It doesn't matter whether it's critical race theory Transgenderism, your fair share of taxes, whether or not it's right 
to kidnap kids and sell them into the sex trade? Oh, we'd never do that. Or look at pornography. Oops. Do you know what God said? And do you care what he said? Because it doesn't matter if you know what God said. If you don't care what God says, it's not going to affect what you do with what God said, is it? That's on us. You see, it's not enough just to engage the enemy over our thoughts. You have to capture your thoughts using the authority of God's will over your life and submit to that authority of God's will and defeat the enemy by bringing your thoughts into obedient submission to God. Are you willing to be submissive to the will of God? I can't answer that for you. Your wife can't answer that for you. Well, she can try, but no. And neither can your parents. Here's the challenge. I hesitated to use this phrase. Matter of fact, David and I kind of reworked it a couple of different times until it got to a point where we felt better about it. If we're not going to surrender our seat at the table, it's going to happen because we're willing to let his truth, meaning God's truth, become my truth. Now, I flinched when I used that phrase, your truth or my truth, because, you know, it just, it's in the Greek. But, actually, it sounds like Hebrew. But, you hear somebody say, well, that's just my truth. And it becomes this blanket coverall excuse for doing whatever you want to do. Regardless of what God says, or regardless of whether you're in submission to the will of God. The only way that works is if you're willing to let his truth become your truth. And you can't submit to his will if you don't know God's will. When the enemy, Satan, tempted Jesus in the desert, Jesus recognized his lies because he knew the truth. He knew what God's will was. And so when Satan distorted Scripture, Jesus knew what God had really said and was able to remain obedient to God because he'd let God's truth become his truth. And that's why Satan momentarily left Jesus alone. And Scripture says, until a more opportune time. It's true, you can count on God to keep his word, and his word can be counted on to keep you if you're willing to listen to the shepherd's voice to bring you peace, rest, protection, guidance, and the reward that he promises for following him in his voice. I'm going to read several verses. Because I want you to see and hear the word of God. In Psalm 19, verse 7, it says, The teachings of the Lord are perfect. That's why his truth needs to become my truth. 
His teaching is perfect. Why are they perfect? Look at the result. They revive the soul and give new strength. Sounds like the 23rd Psalm, doesn't it? It sounds like the good shepherd who watches over his sheep. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy. You can count on God to keep his word. As a matter of fact, they are so trustworthy that even foolish people look smart when they follow his word. Still in Psalm chapter 119, verse 11, that's why among this lengthy, verse, or lengthy chapter of Psalm 119, this nugget is summarized in verse 11. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Capture every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's not enough just to know what the Bible says. Are you living what the Bible says? When God's trying to encourage Joshua about taking Moses' place, and he's understandably nervous, he encourages Joshua with this in Joshua 1, verse 8. Steady the, well, we'll start in verse 5. Just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. I will not abandon you, and I'll never leave you. So be strong and courageous. Let me, let me remind you. Stinking thinking is up to you to change. Be strong and courageous was on Joshua. Why? Because he knew that he could count on God to keep his word. And that's why a couple of verses later in verse 8, he tells Joshua this, Steady these instructions continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Again, he's not just talking about the memory verse of the week. He's not just talking about the devotional thought of the day for the gold star. He's talking about think about it, meditate on it, dwell on it so that it will become part of you. Then you will prosper and succeed in all you do. Why? Because his truth has become your truth. His will has become your will. This was so important that these instructions were given in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 and following. He says, remember these commands that I give you. Keep them in your hearts. Write them down. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your forehead as a way to remember my laws. Teach these laws to your children. Talk about them all the time. Whether you're at home or walking along the road, going to bed or getting up in the morning, write these commands on the door frames of your home and on your city gates. That's a really long way of saying, don't dismiss what God says. Don't discount the word and the will of God. There's a reason for that. Because it's convicting and helps us Stay in the middle of God's will. Hebrews chapter 4 describes that. He says the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. 
And then he describes that activity of the Word of God and the effect it has on our lives. It cuts all the way into us where the soul and the spirit are joined, to the center of our joints and bones. It exposes our innermost thoughts and the desires of our heart for judgment. And in Colossians 3.16, that's why he reminds us to remember what Christ taught. Let his words enrich your lives and make you wise. Use psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to teach yourselves about God's kindness, singing to the Lord with thankful hearts. That's how you... That's how you deal with stinking thinking. And that's why Paul would say it this way in Philippians 4, verse 8. Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if there's any excellence or anything praiseworthy, and here's the key phrase, let your mind dwell on these Stinking thinking, or let your mind dwell on these things. Stuck on worried about what might be, or stuck on the lies, or dwelling on the truth. Obsessed with the worst about people, or obsessed with and dwelling on the honorable things about people. Focusing on everything that's wrong or focusing on everything that's right because of God. Is there anything excellent? Is there anything worthy of praise? Let your mind dwell on these things. Don't give the enemy your seat at the table. Here's an idea about how to let your mind dwell on truth as seen in the Good Shepherd. And while I go through these, David, you and the praise team might as well join me on stage here. Let's keep it simple, stupid, as some have said. Not that I'm calling you stupid. But let's keep it simple, right? Make this your prayer for Sunday. The Lord's my shepherd. I have everything I need. That's your prayer for Sunday. I have everything I need. Here's your prayer for Monday. He lets me rest in green pastures. He leads me to quiet waters. He gives me new strength. There's Monday's prayer. He gives me new strength. Tuesday, he leads me on the right path for the good of his name. Wednesday, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I don't have to be afraid because of the presence of God. 
Thursday's prayer, you pour oil of blessing on my head. You fill my cup to overflowing. Your goodness and love will be with me all the days of my life. <laughs> Summarized, you're greater than any enemy. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Your goodness and love, it says, and um, will be with me all the days of my life. That'll be Friday's prayer. And Saturday, I'll live in the house of the Lord forever. You don't have to give your seat at the table away. Our God can be counted on to keep his word. And that gives the that gives the direction of our, of our comfort that allows us to free ourselves of stinking thinking and focus instead on a good shepherd who gives us everything we need. I'm out of time now, but if you want to find out more about how God can provide you the forgiveness you need, the hope and the direction and the guidance you need, and how he welcomes us into his presence. Be happy to meet and talk with you in private. If you want to, right now, during the singing of this next song, if you want to meet with, an, with one of our elders here in our side prayer room, they'll be happy to meet you there and pray with you privately and share with you some guidance from the Word of God on how to receive his blessing instead of stinking thinking that has no place in the presence of God. Let's stand together. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.